Our New Testament lesson comes, epistle comes from 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, I heard this story told by my father back when I think I was probably sixth grade, and it terrified me when I heard it the first time, and then I thought about it as I got older. Dad um, worked for Shell Oil Company, and he said, the majority of the rigs in the 1950s and early 60s out in the Gulf of Mexico, and they did this long before, you know, there was GPS and all of this um, computer equipment, but they used to take a, what they call a work boat out there, and they had the, his crew and he had the crew on the boat, and they used to do a hit count every so often to make sure they had everybody. So this man, Edwin Bottineau, went up on deck, broke the rules, didn't have on his life jacket, but he was on the back of the boat, and sure enough, he fell off. And so they went to do their hit count, and Edwin was missing. So they just turned the boat around, and Daddy calculated with the captain of the ship and accounting for all of this, and it was well over two hours later before they got back to him, and they found him about a hundred yards off from where they thought he would be, floating out there in the Gulf, and he had taken off his rubber boots and filled them up and was using that as his flotation device. We heard just this week, to me, a more amazing story. And it's funny because this happened at the Southwest Pass, just about the same place where Edwin Fontenot's story took place. The man, did you see it in the news? that fell off the cruise ship. I never know how you fall off a cruise ship. <laughs> but he floated for 22 hours. He treaded water for 22 hours and was rescued. I find these things just fascinating. But I wonder about Edwin drifting around, surviving. I'm wondering if most of us here were out there bobbing alone in the middle of that gulf for two hours, for 22 hours in the darkness, if we would have that hope, if maybe we had given up hope, if we would wonder if those boots were going to hold us. But that's how it is. Hope. A sliver of chance. A sliver to be found alive. But that's how hope is, isn't it? Hope is that whisper that maybe, just maybe, the boots will hold. Maybe they'll find me alive.
What is the hope in your life right now? Think about it. For some, it is that first candle that is lit in the middle of the darkness when the power goes out in that raging storm. Hope is the first day you wake up and you can breathe again from a horrible cold. Hope is the percentage you have in beating cancer. It's that first ray of sunshine through your window after a tearful, difficult night. Hope is hearing the words, he's going to be okay. Hope is that flicker of just maybe, just maybe. Hope is the fuel of our faith and our dreams. And hope is what we celebrate on this, the first Sunday of Advent. You know, hope is a season. Advent is a season. It's a season marked with expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. It's not an extension of Christmas. It's a separate season that links the past, the present, and the future. Advent is the time that we sit in hope fulfilled and Jesus is coming. We sit in that hope of celebrating the Messiah. But we sit in hope of his coming again. In Advent, we sit in what is an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. You know, we, we mark this season with so much frenzied busyness that I hope we take it as an opportunity to set aside some time to truly prepare our hearts in a time that will help us focus on a story far greater than our own. The story of our God's redeeming love. It's not a season when we should be pretending to cover up our struggles. It's a season where we should be digging into them, digging into the reality and what it means that God sent his only son into a world to be called Emmanuel, God with us. It is a season of expectation and preparation an opportunity to align ourselves with God's presence much more than the hectic season of the buying of the gifts and the decorating and all the frenziness that seems to come with these weeks of Advent. So I invite you into this season of preparation on this first Sunday of Advent. 
It's also a time that allows us for questions and for those struggles. Because Advent is not just a celebration that God comes to fix things in our life. Advent is a celebration that God comes to be with us. He is the God with us in the darkness, in the pain, in the chaos. He comes. God always makes a way. You know, that's how it is throughout history. We see this. In the very beginning of God's creation, he walked fully and wholly with humanity. And then we know the story. In that wholeness and in that intimacy that he had, it was his creation that turned from him. Adam and Eve chose. And when we know when we commit sin, we are separating ourselves from God. That's the whole thing about sin. It is a separation from God. And we all became broken. And we know the ongoing result of that. But we also know that God has been working since then for the restoration and healing and the wholeness for us and all that he made. We see it in God's covenant with Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, God promised in Genesis 12, 3. When God encountered Jacob at Bethel, we just heard it. He renewed the covenant and reinforced the hope rooted in his faithfulness. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. But you know, generations and times passed, and we as humans are an impatient group of people. So you would hear them cry in the test, Old Testament, How long, O oh God? How long will it be? From the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and many other prophets, there was a repeating of history of the devotion to God and then the neglect of God. There was prosperity and then there was recession. There was feast and literally famine, pleasure and pain. The hateful people were not much different than we are. When things are good, when we're happy, we're joyful. We tend to put God back here just a tad. But when something goes amiss in our life, what is the first thing we do? We turn to him, crying out to him, help me, God. There has always been a deep and ongoing longing for God to fulfill his covenant, his promise, that his Messiah would come and make everything right. 
And this just wasn't a happy idea that the Israelites had. This just wasn't a fleeting thought drifting in and out of their consciousness and out of their culture. It was much more, it was a deep hope. It was their deepest hope. And this is what sustained them and encouraged them and spurred them on for thousands of years. An uncertain waiting. And in the midst of this long journey of hope, here comes Isaiah. He was a pretty famous guy back then, but not very popular. Because he was the one that was telling people and kings things like, God is not really pleased with the way you're helping or not helping the poor people. And he was real unpopular when he would tell the king, hey, you know, there's this enemy sitting out here. He's coming. He's going to invade your territory and he's going to destroy you. That did not make him popular. But Isaiah really is the poster prophet for Advent. That's why you hear so many readings from Isaiah during Advent. We will hear them over the next coming weeks also. He is the poster prophet for the longing, expecting, and hoping for God to be with us. Through Isaiah, God gave Israel and us many prophecies and promises about the Messiah. And in that way, really, Isaiah is our voice of hope. In fact, Handel's Messiah, written in 1741, is based upon so many words from Isaiah because of its complexity and its truth that Isaiah had to say. It is really a soundtrack of hope. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. Imagine that, and he's still talking about hope. Listen what he says in 714. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. From 9, 1 and 2, he says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, we will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. Beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And you know this one. You might can even say it with me. Isaiah 6 through 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And we will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the righteousness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Can you imagine living in the time of Isaiah? We didn't have, you know, they didn't have digital 24-hour news. But can you imagine hearing that in that difficult time that they were living in? Can you imagine the hope that this would bring to these people? Did Isaiah understand these messages and the promises on some level? Yes. But on the other hand, probably not. He didn't know God's timeline. When it would happen. When the Messiah would come. Like many, perhaps Isaiah thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. Or maybe Isaiah was wise enough to know that God's work stretches for generations in generations. But still, Isaiah was filled with hope. God's promises fueled him and all the people to sleep in that hope. His vision of God with us still fuels us today. You know, at Christmas, we always want to turn to the narrative of Luke, which most people do because it's the most extensive. In fact, Mark doesn't even talk about it at all. Don't you find that interesting? But in Luke, you will find Zechariah, who was well acquainted with the word and prophecies of Isaiah. He was a priest. Luke described him as a righteous and blameless person. He was a good Jewish follower of God. He was a spiritual leader. Undoubtedly, he held deep longings for the promised Messiah. But Zechariah was still in shock when suddenly, out of the blue, on an ordinary day, much like today, when he was just going about his priestly duties, God dropped a mega dose of hope into Zechariah's world for the people of Israel. You know Zechariah's story. For over 400 years, Israel had not heard a clear voice from the prophet. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the hope for his people in Israel? The prophecies are about to be fulfilled. The one prophesied to come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah is coming. God is moving to restore hope. The human expression of God with <clears throat> us was coming. Maybe you're thinking, well, that was great for the people of the Old and the New Testament, especially those who were there to hear Zechariah. So what does that mean for me so many years, thousands of years later? 
What it means is no matter what your problems are, what your struggle is, what kind of season of darkness and pain that you might find yourself, do not abandon hope. Hope is still alive. Hope is alive because God is still with us. How do you know that? How do you know that God's hope is with us during this Advent season? Well, it's based on His Word. Part of God with us is written for us. He left it for us. Where we can read His promises to His people. Because they are a piece of Him. They are the reminders that penetrate our hearts and our spirits and assure us that no matter what we are facing, no matter how bleak tomorrow looks, God will never leave us for nothing can separate us from Him. Psalm 139, we hear, Where do I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I go to the heavens, and you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light come become night around me, even the darkness is, will not be dark to you. Night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God, those are words of hope, aren't they? No matter where I go, no matter where I try to flee, no matter where I try to hide, God is with us. We are not alone. We get our hope because we know God's character. He is the one who keeps and makes and always will keep His promises. He fulfills them said time and time again, you have the proof right here. Think about, there's a little known story in Mark 5, 25 to 34. Some of y'all who are real Bible scholars will know this story. The woman who thought, who had enough faith and hope to me, it's one of the greatest stories in the Bible. If I can just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment. She wasn't looking for a blessing. She wasn't looking for a personal one-on-one -on -one conversation. She was just going to move among the crowd quietly to get close enough to touch the hem of his garment. That 
is a great story of hope. God gave her, through Jesus, the healing and peace and freedom that would change her life. This is the same God we have today. The God who is worthy. The God who is still with us. You know, God is very faithful. His faithfulness is unwavering, and you can get your hope from that. So if I ask you, how has God worked in your life? What are the moments, the memories, when you have experienced God's work in your life? Those times that you know you are certain you felt the presence of God's Spirit was with you. You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and it is through gratitude that breeds our hope. Thankfulness fosters our hope. Acknowledgement and appreciation brings our hope. Listen to these words from Jeremiah. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We know exactly where Jeremiah's hope was. So I ask you, where is your hope? Are you the one floating out there just past the Southwest Pass? Either just treading water, or are you Edwin Fontenot holding on to your boots upside down? Knowing, knowing that he is coming for you because he is always with you. Have hope during your Advent season. Look for it. Make a conscious effort to find it. Amen and amen.